Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne and I'm here today with Pastor Charles Wolf. Charles, uh, say hi to everybody. Hello, audience. <laughs> Charles is actually my mom and dad's pastor. And it's a little funny because he's closer in age to me, but my mom and dad just adore him. So before I met you, Charles, I was hearing all about you and your wife, Corey, and how precious you guys are. And then um, as, as you just mentioned before we press record, we did have Christmas dinner together. So I feel like you're my honorary little brother. <laughs> oh, well, I'll, I'll accept that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know how well the audience knows your two parents, but no. uh, I'll, I'll say that they're two of the most lovely people I have the pleasure of knowing right now. And uh, from the perspective of being, you know, their pastor, the, the person who right now has responsibility for spiritual care of them, um, they give you so much of what you would want, mm. <laughs> you know, from that position, so much of that affection and relationship and reassurance that, yeah. that I think every pastor, you know, if they had their ideal church member in mind, uh, mm -hmm. that's what you get. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been, it's been a lovely connection for them as well. So thank you for that. And yeah. As, as we said, you're a full-time pastor at Rockridge Church here in our little neighborhood of Southern California. And uh, so most of your time is dedicated to that local ministry context. And so I wanted to just kind of share how this conversation came about. I know that my mom, being one of my biggest fans, had said to your whole small group, everybody needs to listen to Anne's podcast. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. And you did. You, you honored us with a listen. And then you said, hey, there might be a, a discussion we need to have between pastors and therapists. So that's what we're here today to do. So maybe, Charles, we could start with... What were, what were some of the thoughts that you had about, hmm, gee, there's, there's pastors doing this good work in our communities and there's therapists doing work in our communities uh, and yet we're not really collaborating too much. Yeah. Um, I started thinking about it because I was listening to one of your discussions. I'm failing to remember exactly which one it was, but it was an episode of Soul Grit and there seemed to be a little asking, you know, th there was this big question about, well, does your pastor support therapy? Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, well, that's what a good question to ask, <laughs> you know, what a thoughtful question. And I sort of thought about that for the rest of the day. And uh, I, I started to wonder, are therapists having the same conversation in the other direction, you mm -hmm. know? Are there, there's pastors who wonder, 
what good is psychology, you know, mm-hmm. and, and are we pro therapy? And that's something for us to work out. Right. But are there therapists who wonder, well, are we pro ministry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, do we find as much value in theology or the idea of biblical counseling as we do the therapeutic tools we have? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And then thinking about that question led me to another question of why don't I see an A-B partnership between therapists and, and, and you know, not necessarily pastors alone, but, but biblical counselors. Let's mm-hmm. use that as a generic term, which could include pastors or elders or counselors, you know, kind of mm-hmm. anywhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't I see an A-B partnership there? Right. Is it ever going to happen that somebody might go to their therapist and upon learning that, that this person is a, a faithful person, a, a believer in Jesus, a lover of the gospel, the therapist might say, well, hey, um, how would you feel about us bringing in, you know, a, a Bible person, a theology person mm-hmm. to walk through some of these issues and questions together? You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's something we'll ever see, but I think it's a project worth working on. Yeah, so that was that was kind of how I wound up here. Um, and those were some of the big questions that I started working through. What's the appropriate division of labor is the mm-hmm. term that I settled on. What's the appropriate division of labor between me, pastor and therapist? You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, just just to go back a little bit, I originally entered the field of therapy, wanting there to be a holistic partnership that was multidisciplinary. So originally when I started considering therapy as a career, I was very interested in infertility and uh, reproduction. (laughs) And so I uh, had been seen at a clinic at Stanford hospital and I realized there were MFTs, marriage and family therapists that worked together with endocrinologists and OBGYNs and all all this whole multidisciplinary team that was going to help people both on the biological medical side, as well as like this mental emotional side. And I went that that's good work right there. But then being a Christ follower myself, for me, it wouldn't stop at physical and mental. It would also have to include spiritual. And so when I went to graduate school, I made sure I went to seminary so that I would be prepared to bring in the theological and biblical side of that, because I believe as, as a whole person, you're not just body, you're not just mind, you're not just heart, you're not just soul, like you're all of those things. We have to address all of those things. So my, my ideal would be what you're describing that I get to be on the phone with your doctor as well as your pastor, you know, <laughs> and, and me covering another base, you know? Yeah. 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 I know. Um, integration mm-hmm. is something that's, that seems to be important to you, you know, just based on mm-hmm. what I've heard already from the, the few episodes of soul grit that I have completed. Um, from someone in a ministry perspective, that term it, integration is a great goal, right? But from someone who's, and maybe this is a consequence of, you know, when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail, but, but from someone who, who lives and breathes, you know, ministry and, and theology and, and, and biblical counseling and biblical study and all this, um, 
it's almost like integration is a good goal, but but it's it's not quite enough for what what you want it to be. That mm-hmm. integration would be better than nothing, you know. But but for what we really want, it, it it's got to be more than integration. It's almost like the the scriptures and and the theology and, and and all that has to be centered, and then it's sort of the therapy tools get integrated into that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that that was another part of this discussion that I started to think about, you know, the more I listened, it's, it's really unfair <laughs> to ask someone who's gone through all of this highly specialized, very difficult, very uh, technical therapy training to mm-hmm. say, okay, now go and do three to five more years and go become a theologian, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. so that you can have all of A and all of B. And that's where that term division of labor really came from, because that's mm-hmm. what is the marketplace? What is our economy? Well, it's a lot mm-hmm. of highly specialized people who are bringing the best of what they have into the market. Mm-hmm. And that is radically unfair to ask a therapist to do that. But what's not unfair is to say, hey, why don't you go grab somebody who spent five years becoming that, you know, who mm-hmm. also has all this specialized training and use the best of both. Um, yeah. yeah. The work of uh, a guy named Henry Nowen has been really mm-hmm. important to me. That's probably a name that, that you know. Yeah, um, had to read in grad school, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he was, he was one of the first guys, as far as I know, in mainline Christianity to start thinking really seriously about this mm-hmm. to the point where he left the world of academic theology for a little while and went and mm-hmm. studied at the Menninger Clinic in Topeka, Kansas, Mm-hmm. I think this was in 64, um, where he would ju- was just receiving training in psychology mm-hmm. and was saying, okay, let's try to find the best of both. Yeah. And, and likewise, uh, you said it would be unfair for the therapist to now go get a theology degree, but, but same with pastors that you have your hands full caring for your flock. And so for you to have the level of counseling skills that some people in your congregation need also wouldn't work, which is why there really needs to be a a partnership. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the other end of that equation, you know, I spent a handful of years doing my best to, to be prepared to teach you from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Please don't send me back and make me memorize the DSM also. <laughs> right, right. And, and you shouldn't have to. I, I did recently listen to a podcast that was talking about some of the recent research coming out of the Barna Group. I don't know if you follow any of that. They uh, research... Uh, pastors, churches, uh, trying to get best practices, the best data about what's going on in our churches and what's going on with pastoral training. One of the things that they found recently was that pastors spend majority of their, their work week prepping sermons and preaching sermons. And they feel like that is, is the, that's what seminary prepared them for. However, there's this other chunk of the job, which is the pastoral care, like being with people, visiting people, counseling people, that uh, according to the research, the pastors felt less prepared for that kind of work than they did for digging into the Greek and Hebrew and coming up with a good sermon. You know? 
Yeah. Would you would you find that true for your seminary experience? Yeah. Um, I, I'd mostly go with you there. And if I were just to go back and look at my transcripts, it would be hard to deny. <laughs> you know, uh, okay. let's see, for for you know being prepared to teach from the Bible, you have to take hermeneutics, systematic theology one, two and three. Mm-hmm. Greek one and two and three mm-hmm. preaching at least introduction to um, there's probably even more I'm leaving out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it will, you know, your old well, Testament one and yeah, two. Yeah. Old Testament, Testament, New Testament. Yeah. Um, and then perhaps some other elective that you throw in there. Right. So, so I was just counting on my fingers. That's at least a dozen right. classes that are all trying to prepare you to be a better teacher Mm-hmm. better preacher okay uh, oh and then you might also take homiletics depending on what school you go to so maybe even mm-hmm. 13 classes i took intro to pastoral counseling okay that's mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. and then as an elective not a class i had to take uh, i just happened to have this professor who had also done a lot of thinking about this kind of integration uh so he he taught a history class that was basically designed for our mft and MHC students, because at my seminary, we also had those. In fact, they mm-hmm. outnumbered us MDiv people. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just called a, a Christian Lives in Pastoral Counseling. You know, uh, go read these letters by John Chrysostom and see what stuff you can find in there that would apply to a counseling context. <laughs> so I'm almost just going to say one and a half okay. counseling okay. classes, because that's as much history as it is anything else, as opposed to 13, you know, mm-hmm. theology, Bible study. Mm-hmm classes so those numbers would kind of speak (laughs) to the truth that barna went and found Mm -hmm. through their research Mm -hmm. now i i'm always going to put the onus back on the students a little bit you know if you went to seminary and you were studying well if you went the mdiv track you had at least three years maybe as many as like six or seven years where you had full access to a, a theological library that no doubt included a section about counseling. Now, what did you do? With <laughs> um, so I'm always going to put that back on the, the student a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe there is something in the structure of how we train ministers where we're not giving enough attention to, yeah, what is going to be a, a big part of the job. Um, I, I don't know how, how true is it that we live right now in a, a mental health crisis? You would know better than me. Yeah, most people in my field and even outside of my field, maybe in a policymaking field, would agree that this is a mental health crisis. If not uh, in 2019, definitely 2020, 2021, 22, there's stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, we're living in a moment where our seminary presidents, uh, program managers, whoever else is in charge of making these decisions have a unique opportunity to respond to that Mm -hmm. by investing a little bit more in that part of our pastoral training. Mm -hmm. Some of it can't be taught. Mm -hmm. Maybe therapists even find that to be true. Mm -hmm. You can go get all the technical training you want, but you can but still be a bad therapist <laughs> with one patient and they really start downloading all of their stuff onto you. I don't know how much of that training is always going to be relevant, right. <laughs> you know, 
That's uh, why we have that long internship period where we're under supervision. <laughs> yeah, which is another thing that many many of us lack on the pastoral training side. You know, I I had an internship, but I was already an associate pastor at a church, so mm-hmm. my internship was basically keep going to work, and now you get credit for it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was not an intentional an intentional way to to add more trigger time is the old military term that I know, but, but to add more trigger time to our counseling mm-hmm. training and preparation. You know? mm-hmm. um, so yeah, maybe there's an opportunity here to reinvest some more yeah. time and attention in that. You want to start writing letters to seminary presidents or like, how are we going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. And, and okay. you know, maybe we end up with something like a, uh, like the Great Barrington Declaration or something where there's all kinds of signatures on it and all of these uh, certificated degree-holding people uh, can lend their authority to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just thinking about what you're saying about your classes. Um, and it would be true that the majority of therapists are not trained in a seminary setting. But for those of us who were, I still had to take hermeneutics, Old Testament, New Testament, theology one and two, you know, all all of those core classes that you took. I didn't take Greek or Hebrew or homiletics or preaching. So we didn't have that part. But then I did have to take advanced or integration and advanced integration where they specifically taught us, okay, you had all these Bible and theology classes and you've had all these clinical classes here's how you do it. And so that's why I feel so passionate about it, about teaching other therapists who maybe didn't have the benefit of going to seminary, uh, how to start incorporating their faith more in a way that's not going to be abusive or inappropriate of people, because we all know that there are situations and where people abuse their use of the word of God. Right. So, so on the other hand, though, like what you were saying, this is something that I've always recognized because I, you know, I did share those classes with the MDiv students and I, I see pastors not necessarily have the, the preparation for that. And yet for Christian people, they are the first line of defense. You are the first line. So if somebody in your congregation is having a problem, chances are they're going to call you in the middle of the night, not try to find a therapist in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah. So when, when I first opened up my practice here in town, I, you know, was very eager and I drafted a letter and I sent it out to probably a dozen or more pastors in the area saying, this is who I am. This is what my training is. I love Jesus. I use the word of God. I'd like to come alongside you. Um, If you have situations which are beyond the pastoral counseling scope, refer them my way. And I had one pastor in the whole, in the whole town, um, contact me after that. So the partnership part, how do we, how do we get that? Was that a disappointing experience mm-hmm. for you? I mean, did you send those letters out, you know, expecting the majority of them to come yeah. back with positive feedback, hoping that I'd get an email or a phone call or an invitation to follow up at a later time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I am almost heartbroken to, to say this, but, you know, I think between our two worlds, there's kind of a trust issue a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
it doesn't help that when most people think about psychology, you know, the first image that pops into their mind is like Sigmund Freud. Right. <laughs> and uh, your mother might have had to say about a cigar and, and, and mm-hmm. what a cigar really is and mm-hmm. Oedipus Rex and everything else that came with that. And it's easy to discount psychology out of hand if that's all that you think of when you hear that term, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, and, and this would be a question I'd, I'd like to put back on you, um, is does the trust issue go both ways? You know, I mean, not for you. That seems pretty obvious, but for therapists, you were in a room with a thousand other therapists right, mm-hmm. who did not elect to receive their training in a seminary setting. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say a thousand other therapists from Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and uh, anywhere else in between. Um, mm-hmm. Would there be kind of a barrier of trust? You know, if someone came into their office and said, "Well, I was having this problem," and you know, here's what my pastor said, would they mm-hmm. have a positive reaction or a negative mm-hmm. reaction? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say a cautious reaction, and of course, there's probably more therapists who are not Christ followers than those who are, right? And so. We t- take that whole that whole demographic out of the picture because I, I'm assuming that as a pastor that cares for your flock that you're going to want to refer people to someone who's already professing to be a Christian therapist. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, that's really important for me too. And any of my friends who ask for a referral, I'm like, if unless there's some circumstance where you have this really specialized case and you need somebody that that specifically works with that thing, I really want you to see a Christian counselor. But um, out of people who work in this smaller demographic of Christian counselors. So they're, they personally profess a faith in Jesus Christ. They work to some degree with that in their practice. Some people, it's just the, the, the tiniest thing, like they have a verse on a plaque on their wall, um, but they don't bring it in a lot. Others, it's like, I'm praying with you in session, or I, I'm, I'm going to show you in the word what I've found to be true about this situation, whatever. So there's, there's a range of that. But I think what happens a lot with therapists is that we hear, we hear everybody's dirt, we hear everybody's trauma, And we hear a lot of times the ways that the church has not handled it well. So uh, for example, my mom comes home and she says, there's a person down my street who is a police officer. He has extensive trauma. He's been having panic attacks. He goes to my previous church (laughs) and he his the pastors told him he needs to pray and come to Bible study. And as a therapist, you're going, but what about the biological parts? What about the mental parts? Like, are, you can't treat one part of the, you can't just say pray about it and not treat the other things. It's like, like praying about a broken leg. I totally believe God can heal a broken leg just spontaneously, but I think it might be a good idea to go get a cast on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that those are the kinds of experiences that we hear in our offices where we're thinking, okay, I, I trust my pastor, but I don't know about all of those pastors out there who may have distorted view, like you said, of what psychology is, or may not be trauma-informed in the sense that they can help people get healing without re-traumatizing them. Yeah. Um, even, I hope that's not a true story, but I get the impression that it is. Because even it is. as a pastor, it's like, what a terrible answer. 
mm-hmm. to that situation. Mm-hmm. What a not gospel answer. Right. You know. But that's what I hear from all the time from people saying uh, Christians aren't supposed to be depressed. Christians aren't supposed to have PTSD. Christians aren't supposed to have anxiety because that would be worrying. And the Bible says, don't worry about anything. And so I just have to get myself to Bible study and they don't get treatment. Yeah. Yeah. uh, PTSD. That's maybe we can set aside another day to talk about that because I I don't know how much of my biography you've, you know, received mm. through the vines, but you know, I, I, I struggled with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a soldier once upon right. a time before I, you know, got into to ministry years later and uh, that followed me around for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the army said, try therapy and the army's version of therapy was not the best. Right. <laughs> Right. You know, that's and, a whole, that's a whole thing yeah. in itself. Right. <laughs> and really it, it, a lot of that stuff didn't fall off until I believed the gospel and mm-hmm. called out to Jesus. And, and it was really only then that I noticed the difference, but, um, but you know, like I said, that, that's a whole nother uh, conversation. Um, and now I'm forgetting what your question was. <laughs> I don't know if it was a question so much as you, you had asked me, you know, do, do therapists trust pastors? Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm giving you these, you know, like I, I trust my pastor, I yeah. guess, but I don't necessarily trust all the pastors in the valley. You know? Yeah. I mean, in the same way, right, that a lot of pastors might hear the term psychology and they mm-hmm. think of the absolute worst mm-hmm. examples of it mm-hmm. um, and they conjure up the worst images of it, right? Mm-hmm. A therapist might hear pastor. <laughs> and immediately think of, uh, well, there's that guy in Tennessee who just burned all those books, you know, Greg mm-hmm. Locke or, 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 you know, the absolute worst of who we are, you know, right. we might right. assume that we're all Driscoll's or. <laughs> something else, are we going to go there? <laughs> well, we don't have to. But, but, um, well, well, and that's the thing that you can be, you can be a really great ministry and teach the word of God really faithfully, but, not be equipped to address certain issues like this. So, so the church that I mentioned before with my mom's neighbor, that's the church that my parents attended for years and years and years. And they got really good, faithful teaching of the word of God, but that doesn't mean that those ministry leaders were equipped to deal with a police officer having panic attacks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can take you into the theology. I can tell you about healing. I can pray for your healing, but mm-hmm. I am not going to have the tools to tell you how to, how to respond at three in the morning when you probably wake up and feel like you have, you're having a, a heart attack. Heart attack. Yeah. A panic attack has just hit you. I've only had a couple and that's what they felt like. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I don't have those those tools. You know, mm-hmm. you can call me and I'll I'll tell you that that I love you and I'm praying for you and I'll stay on the phone with you as long as I I must, mm-hmm. um, because that's part of what I'm here to do. But yeah. but if you want real resources that are going to tell you, okay, when you know you're having a panic attack, here's how we can walk through that and unpack that and you know breathe this way, take control of the moment, things like that. I, I'm sorry, I just don't have those tools. You know? Right. Um, and I don't. I don't feel bad admitting that. And, and maybe that's another part of this issue is uh, 
the high pressure on a pastor to feel like they are gurus with all the answers mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to every situation, you know. Um, does the Bible have an answer to every question? Yes. But does it tell us how to walk ourselves down from a panic attack? Well, no. Right. <laughs> you know? right. It applies to all parts of life, but we also have the common grace of modern medicine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can work on this together for just a minute. Mm. If there was an ideal vision for this this shared labor, Mm -hmm. shared care, AB partnership, right? What does what would that look like to you? Is it that you have a card of a pastor you trust in your wallet? Mm-hmm. Is it that you guys are in the room together on day one? Is it, you know, you're going to work with the patient for a few weeks and then bring in this pastor who's going to bring in some additional stuff that he knows or she mm-hmm. knows, you know? Yeah. Um, what, what would the ideal well, part be? Well, let, let's just talk a little bit about that logistical side too, which is that this is my job and I get paid for it. And I, people either have to pay me out of their own hard-earned money, or they have to use their insurance, which usually comes through their work. And when they use their insurance, they have to have a medical diagnosis. And I might give them a diagnosis of depression or anxiety or something like that. And that's how they pay for the, the time. As a pastor, your salary works a little bit differently because you care for your flock. They give tithes. You may work with a denomination depending on your particular lo- local environment, but then there's a certain amount of, of, um, pastoral care that's anticipated that you will spend your time doing for that salary that they're giving you. (laughs) And so there's a difference in that, that I, I worry with the medical model of therapy right now, that the thing that would be ideal for people's, um, health and wholeness is not something that we can afford to do because my time would have to be billable too. Yeah. Right. That's the impression I'm getting. Yeah. So, so how, how does this partnership get paid for? That's the really practical side, but you didn't ask me like, let's work out the practicalities. You said, what would be the ideal? So I'll go, now that I've said that I'll go back and say, um, what, what I see as maybe, See, I'm, I just keep being more realistic, but one of the things that I see is having more training opportunities um, between pastors and therapists where pastors use their training to help therapists understand, understand theologically and biblically what's, uh, what's maybe going on in, in some of their, the cases that they are dealing with right now. Similarly, therapists can come alongside pastors and help them um, be more informed about trauma or about um, anxiety, depression, things like that. Um, even the types of medications that your congregants might be using to deal with these things. So to use our individual training, like you said, there's three to five years of, of training that goes into each of our professions. And so to be able to share that in some setting with each other, may be one of the most practical ways of bridging the gap. That's what I would say. And I definitely, uh, I definitely come with you on that. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about some of the logistical challenges there. Uh, shows some of my ignorance, you know, <laughs> the word insurance hadn't entered my mind, um, nor had diagnosis, honestly. So uh, so Blue Cross Blue Shield is definitely not going to pay for your pastor yeah. to come talk to you. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, I mean, it It almost sounds like the two spheres would be forced to remain separate, you know. Um, now, there are the, some the, churches... So maybe the cross-training really is the best idea. Mm. Then. And there are some churches that do employ counselors on staff, b- bigger churches that have bigger budgets. Um, I can't imagine a church of your size being able to pay an extra person just to do counseling for people. Um, but there, what happened then, again, another logistical thing is that because of the nature of our profession, there's liability. We'd have to carry liability insurance. And a lot of churches found that if there was a sticky situation in the counseling department, that opened the entire church up for liability. Mm-hmm. And they don't want uh, your congregation's tithes going towards paying off a settlement if one of your counselors broke an ethical regulation or something like that. Yeah, no, yeah. that'd be terrible. And so there are some churches that do that, like like the Grove up in Riverside. Um, the, the different churches have counseling departments, uh, but a lot of churches have moved away from that in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. A, a church our side, that's not really uh, our size. It's not really a resource we could work ourselves into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we keep a short list of counselors who we, mm-hmm. who we know. Trust. Um, yeah, but, although that list is pretty old, so <laughs> the last couple of <laughs> times to get I, you a new one. <laughs> I think one call actually came back and they said, "Oh, you know that lady retired." <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and similarly, uh, once the pastors at my church I've just been going to since last summer, they found out that I was a LMFT and they started referring people to me and I had to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to go there and worship and raise my kids and, you know, be open in my small groups and all that. I don't really want to be there with my clients because there's, there's a confidentiality and ethical piece that I'm bound to. Yeah. And that would have to, uh then all of your relationships would be through that lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any other ideas besides that? Like I said, the cross training, like how, how could pastors and therapists uh, work together better? I mean, I guess if I, if I could cast an ideal vision for it, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but see, now I'm starting to feel like my ideal vision was kind of a childish one. Well, Uh, it's, that's why it's ideal, right? It's not, it doesn't have to be practical, but that we really could, we really could end up in the room together, you know, um, where I can bring the best, but, but we, but we have an agreement that we're not going to talk over each other either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Talking stick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but then I can bring the best of what the gospel has to say about the situation. Mm -hmm. And then you can bring the best of the the massive toolkit that, that you have that you carry Mm -hmm. with you and together not necessarily that we're going to find a lot of like, you know, overlap, but I don't think there has to be a, a ton of overlap there, but, but that together we're going to just give the patient, the person, the person suffering mm-hmm. the maximum good yeah. that they can receive um, from, from some form of biblical counseling, but then also clinical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and why does it have to be that the two parties are in the room together the two sides of that discussion well so that we're not always playing catch up with each other mm-hmm. um and so that we don't have to to go away somewhere and, and, and like debrief together so we know what's going on you know yeah. so that we can be 
fully given to that moment, you know, together, fully given to that person mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because so, I have to say, though, uh, when therapists are coming up towards licensure, we we do a process called supervision. Typically, there's uh, individual and group su- supervision where everybody who's kind of at that stage in their pre-licensure journey will come together in a room with a seasoned therapist and present their cases and kind of talk through the ideas of how this should be treated, uh, watch out for this. The the experienced therapist will say, I need you to do this, this, and this to make sure you're doing the best practices And um, similarly, like in like uh, substance abuse treatment or or different kind of residential programs, they'll have a case conferencing where somebody who's like, like, let's say there's a therapist, there's a substance abuse counselor, there's a behavioral health technician, there's a psychiatrist, and there's a social worker, recreational therapist, like there's all these different professionals that come together to uh, promote this, the sobriety of this one person or, or the recovery of this person. And so in, during their week, after each of these professionals have seen that person for their allotted amount of time, then they come together and they conference to, to kind of like what, what's needed, where are we going with this person? You know, what else should we do? What's the best? What's something I didn't know about that you knew about, you know, all of that. And so there is that model uh, within my field. So the, the benefit of that is that in an hour's time, you might be able to workshop, you know, five cases, something, something like that, you know, um, depending on how complicated they are. So like what you're, what you're saying to be present in the room would eliminate, you know, having to debrief, but, um, also doubles the amount of manpower for any given hour of the day. Right. Yeah. So that there could be a model where you do case conferencing between pastors and therapists and psychiatrists and medical doctors. And, you know, that could be a thing. Yeah. Just have to figure out how practical, how to make it work practically. Yeah. Um, and then also just increasing that, that section of pastoral training. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to become the focus, you know, it is still appropriate that the main, the main body of, of our seminary curriculum is in, Hey, here's how to study the Bible. Here's mm-hmm. the history of the church. Here's, you know, and, and take at least one preaching class, you know, uh, here's <laughs> how to do hermeneutics, things like that. Yeah. Um, because ultimately that's what we're called here to do. Uh, in fact, I, I'm remembering even in the one pastoral counseling class, you know, the full on semester length class that I took, one of the first things the professor told us was, hey, you guys are not <laughs> professional counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're biblical counselors and you need to realize your limitations, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. Uh, but, but I also wondered, well, is that just an admission that we're limiting ourselves? <laughs> You know, mm. um, should we maybe pay more attention to this part? Mm-hmm. Um, still, well, I mean, and, it a- and let's just say this too: that at different times in anyone's life, there you will get more value from your pastor, your therapist, your coach, a teacher, a parent. Like, just because I'm a therapist and I have this training, you're a pastor and you have that training, doesn't mean we're going to always 
provide the most value to every person that we see. Uh, I think I've probably mentioned here on the podcast before that there was a while during the the spring where I was seeing last spring, I was seeing a therapist and I was also working with a business coach who was trained as a life coach. And so there were moments where obviously I really needed my therapist, but there were other moments when I just got a lot more out of my coach than I did from my therapist. And so there, there's times when people need both of our skill sets, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just for sake of time, I want to ask you if there was one thing, and, and then I'll go next, if there's one thing that you wish that therapists could know or do, what would it be? The power, the significance of this gospel. Mm -hmm. But that's not limited to therapists. No. <laughs> you know, um, was that the Sunday school answer, Charles? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the son of God. <laughs> um, no, and I know that probably what a stereotypical answer, right? Well, maybe not all stereotypes are bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on, somebody has to. Somebody has to be cherishing this gospel and, and, and carrying it wherever they go and trying to announce it wherever they go. If it's not going to be the teachers, then who will, you know, of this gospel, then, then who's it going to be? Um, so fine, I'll accept the, the charge that that's a, maybe a stereotype, but, but it's nonetheless real. Um, I can reach into my own biography, and I alluded to this earlier, and tell you that I experienced no real healing of some of the very real symptoms mm -hmm. I was having, all the stuff you would expect in a PTSD case. Uh, terrible dreams, you know, insomnia, um, high anxiety, mm -hmm. what, what I think the, the VA therapist called hypervigilance, mm -hmm. um, which I guess just translates to being jumpy all the time, or, or always thinking that you could want, find yourself in some Rambo style situation. Being on guard. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I didn't find any real healing of that mm. until the gospel entered my life. Mm. And that's not to put down the work of, of any of the therapists that, that the army sent my way. Um, but that is to say that there is something very real about the power of this gospel to change lives. Mm -hmm. There is something very real about the announcement that a, a new different way of life is actually possible mm -hmm. um, because the kingdom of God is at hand yeah. because of the completed work of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, and I, even on our best days, it's probably true that, that we only comprehend a portion of that potential of what the gospel brings into someone's life. Mm -hmm. It's not because of any failing of the gospel, no. you know, and, and it's probably even true of, of me, <laughs> mm -hmm. someone who literally gets paid to sit in this room full of books <laughs> and other resources and just think about the gospel, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, even I am probably only realizing some, some small portion of what it is actually saying into my life right now. Right. Um, so I just, I, I have to hold that up as my answer because I see it as this, this source of virtually unlimited radical change and mm -hmm. new life transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, full of so many 
universal truths, foundational things Mm -hmm. that I could not, I could not answer the question any other way. Yeah. And if I can just go ahead and agree with you there, (laughs) that's why I encourage therapists who do have that personal faith in Jesus Christ, that this needs to be a part of your work because there's this power that people can have in their lives uh, through the gospel of Jesus that we're, if we're not tapping into that, then we're not giving them the healing that Jesus wants for them. So, but it has to be done in a healthy way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you never want to be that, that domineering character and my gosh, you never want to be the person who speaks into someone's suffering by saying, will come and join our programs right mm-hmm. <laughs> what an inadequate answer to that question mm-hmm. you know what an unloving right. answer that's why i said not gospel answer earlier right um, so if i can just say one thing and this is not specifically for you charles i don't know where you're at with this but for for pastors in general what i'm picking up is this need to be trauma-informed and to understand how trauma impacts people. You have a, a particular understanding of trauma just from, like you said, your experiences in the military and probably other experiences growing up and, and things like that. But um, to understand that sometimes people's behavior, their sensitivities, their um, their thought life, any of those things come because they have experienced any range of trauma, not just, not just war, not just sexual assault, not just um, violence, but it, many, many other types of micro traumas. That this is one thing that pastors could understand that would help them to minister um, the gospel more freely to, to be able to really understand where a person's at and then to, uh, listen to the Holy spirit, um, apply the word of God in a way that, uh, gives that person freedom, not more bondage. Yeah. Yeah, Um, and if I can carry that ball for a second, okay. I had to go on something of a, a journey about this, you know, Mm. When I first started hearing those terms, trauma-informed, and, and I, you know, what I felt like was that th- there was this thesis developing sort of in public thought that, like, well, everybody carries this massive trauma with them, kind of mm-hmm. no matter what walk of life they've had, if they've been a soldier or a mm-hmm. homemaker or a, mm-hmm. a teacher or anything else. And, you know, when I was younger... I had these kind of harder edges, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially when I was still in the business of soldiering. When I first started to hear this stuff, I thought, well, I just rejected it, you know, mm-hmm. out of hand. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean everybody's traumatized? There's a lot of really good lives out there. Yeah. You know, a lot of lives that, are, that would be better and smoother and easier than the one that I've lived. How are you going to tell me everybody's traumatized? Right. But as we get a little older, we get a little wiser. And uh, we have a little more experience. And of course, you know, I had to take a faith, a journey into the faith too. And that certainly changed a lot of things. But, mm-hmm. but as I advanced a little more in years and experience, I realized how true this idea was that I had been rejecting. Mm-hmm. Um, because trauma doesn't come from some limited subset of human experiences. 
you know, it can be found almost anywhere. I didn't really agree with that at the time, or if I mm -hmm. even knew it, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but now it's, it, if we've been exploited, if we've been rejected, if we've been not loved well, it's like all, all of that stuff is cumulative. You know? mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. certain experiences and it really doesn't matter how small they might appear to an outside observer that people will carry with them no matter where they go. Right. Um, one of the formative books that I had to study about this was by now and called The Wounded Healer. Mm -hmm. And it was effectively saying, you know, hey, you have a fear of death. Yes, yes you, even the pastor, you know, you have wounds you have trauma and and you know you need to embrace that first <laughs> and mm -hmm. stop running from that and and i think the general thesis was like if you can't do that then you'll always tell people that they don't really have a problem mm -hmm. because you don't want to believe that you have had problems yeah yeah and that was kind of a revelation at the time right it really changed the way i thought about about mm -hmm. trauma quite a bit um you know now i'm more in this place where it's like I, I want to come with you on the assumption that everybody just sort of has it <laughs> and mm -hmm. stop fighting against that. Mm -hmm. And instead of telling people, no, you're fine. Um, get over it. You know, this isn't as big of a thing as you made it out to be. I'm much more willing and much more eager to now be, be the kind of loving person that will instead wrap my arms around somebody and say, I know that there's pain here. Mm -hmm. You know, Genesis three tells me there's brokenness here mm -hmm. that you've been affected by this sin shaped world we live in. Yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. And let's love each other anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. let mm -hmm. me speak a blessing into your life, knowing that you're in pain today, you're yeah. low today, you know, instead of telling you that, that you've misread your own biography. Yeah. Right. It's not really pain where you think there is. Mm -hmm. Or that your pain doesn't matter because Jesus, <laughs> but it's yeah. more like your pain does matter because Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so th that, that now in book, you uh, mentioned the wounded healer. That's also the one I had to read in, in grad school. Oh. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would agree, like even among professionals um, or, or let's say just like healthy functioning people, it's very common to not want to admit that you have trauma or to minimize or belittle your own trauma because you see people like, like if I look at my life and then I look at yours as a soldier, like obviously I don't have the same kind of trauma that you do, but that doesn't mean that I don't have other things that have affected me along the way. And so uh, just if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I don't know about these guys because I don't think I have any trauma, but that's okay if you're there right now, because at some point that, that might pop up for you. And just once you remember, you heard this conversation and then you can go, oh, maybe this is what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, like I said, you know, G Genesis three is real. It has something to say about, about our flesh. Number one, mm -hmm. it has something to say about the world we live in. We can know biblically that we live in this world where the default setting is exploitation. Yeah. Sin, mm -hmm. violence, destruction, yeah, destruction, um, pain, you know, betrayal, uh, all of these terrible, sinful things. Mm -hmm. It's okay to admit that that has affected us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you live here. Mm -hmm. 
you live in the flesh. Uh, you know, we're in Galatians at, at Rockridge right now. And um, there's this verse in there that's kind of about that, where Paul says, this life I now live by faith, comma, I live in the, or this life I now live in the flesh, comma, I live by faith. Right. But it's still a life in the flesh, you know, mm-hmm. still at the intersection of the here now and, and not yet, you know. Mm-hmm these glorified bodies that won't be affected by trauma mm-hmm. this beautiful new jerusalem paradise where sin is not welcome mm-hmm. is still something that we wait for with right. hope and expectation there's another verse from galatians in chapter five <laughs> verse five my mom said you did an excellent job on galatians five by the way well that's very kind of her. <laughs> um, i'll, I'll no link to this job. i will link to the sermons if you want in the show notes (laughs) well she's she's very kind in her her feedback um Mm -hmm. but i i'm always of the belief that there's somebody out there doing a much better job Mm -hmm. (laughs) there can't be anything all that special about the way i teach this stuff but what it comes down to, and this is a totally off topic conversation, but the local church has a place as the local church because it's a, the composite of the time that you spend together and the service that you do together and the way that you pray together and worship together and give together and all of that. And then the, the teaching is a really important part of that. But you, I mean, this is the age of iTunes, right? Like you can go and listen to any pastor that you want online, but you cannot replicate the uh, community aspect of the body of Christ in the local church. And so good teaching is one element of that, but it's almost like icing on the cake when you have this, this network of people that is working together towards the kingdom of God. Hey guys, I'm stopping the interview right here because there's about 15 minutes left and I really don't like to put out anything that's over an hour, but you are going to want to come back and hear the rest of the conversation. Next week, we cover everything from good sermons to pro wrestling in that next clip. So please come back next week and hear a little bit more from Pastor Charles. You can hear what he has to say about soul care and also uh, both of our opinions on Uh, what a good sermon can do for your soul. So thanks for listening today. And I hope you got a lot out of that conversation that you will share it with a pastor that you know, and a therapist that you know, help us bridge that gap between those two professions. Thanks for being here. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soulgrit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com. <laughs>